At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Well, that's some good preaching you guys did today. Those truths you declared to one another, man, so needed. And thank you, Kate, Sarah, and Eric for leading us in that declaration. Don't you appreciate them? Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much, you guys. So faithful. Faithful at your ministry. You prepare so well. Um, it really helps us engage our hearts in those testimonies of song. So thank you so much. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. I'm Dan Stewart, the campus pastor here. It's a joy to have you. Sorry, my promise didn't come true. I mean, you know, I told you there'd be all kinds of studs put up all over the place, and they're there. They're just not put up yet. We couldn't get them delivered in time to actually get pounding uh, this week, but uh, the contractors promised me that they're going to come Tuesday morning, and they're not going to stop. Uh, I mean, eventually they will. Because we got to have some space in here for us, right? But, but they'll be adding the kids' ministry space and offices and, um, and secure this place here for us. So there's, we should, from this point on, be seeing some pretty dramatic changes in here every week that you come in. So we're pretty excited about what God's going to do here as he continues to sharpen the tool in our tool belt for reaching the community for Jesus. Uh, so thanks to all of you who have... Uh, invested into this ministry so that we can do that. We're starting a new series today I'm super excited about, a study from the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Book of Romans, we're going to be looking specifically at chapters 5 through 8. It's right at the heart of the book. Uh, some core concepts of helping us understand the power of the gospel in our lives, the effect of God's saving power on our lives as believers. And this letter to the Romans will help us understand over these next 12 weeks what it means for his explosive power in our lives to continue its work until we see him face to face. So I hope you know that the, that the power of the gospel it wasn't a one-and-done situation. It's, a, it's an experience that we have as we place our faith in Jesus that continues to transform us into his image until we see him face to face. So 12 weeks, we're going to study chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. 12 weeks sounds like a long time until you start reading chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, and you'll see the riches there. We could spend so much more time uh, in that, which is why we're encouraging everybody to join in your, in, in your life groups this fall. Uh, a significant aspect of our life groups is gathering together to talk about the implication of what we study on Sunday to our lives. You'll dive into these passages that we study on Sunday as a group and talk about, is this making a difference in our lives? Or are we just hearing it on Sunday and going our way? So we'd love for you to be engaged with one of our life groups. 
So this, this study will take us really to the Christmas season when we start that series. And speaking of Christmas, I, I hope you know and you've noticed on some of our cards that our campus is working together with other churches in the community to help provide the gospel witness for our community during the Christmas season through the Nativity Live experience. Uh, on the boardwalk of Algonac will be a walkthrough experience with live actors, live animals, uh, beautiful scenery where we will be able to share with our community what this Christmas season really means. And so we're super excited about, about, about the opportunity for that. Lots of work has gone into it already. Lots of work is still needed. Uh, if you would like to help us, we need volunteers. We need some more construction work being done. Uh, we're going to need a whole lot of work come, uh, come December when we actually host this. Uh, we're talking like dozens and dozens of volunteers. Uh, so if you'd like to serve in that, whether now or come December, fill out a communication card and get that to Annette in the back, and we'll make sure you get connected with that team. That was Christmas. That was my distraction to Christmas. Um, Romans 5 through 8 is what we're studying. Um, sorry, Romans is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Rome. It was written in about 57 AD, so it was uh, shortly after the ascension of Jesus, about 25 years after his ascension. The Apostle Paul experienced a great transformation of the gospel in his life. He's going around the, the Asia Minor declaring truth. He hears about this group of believers that formed in this major metropolis of Rome. This church is made up of all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, uh, ruling aristocrats in Rome as well as slaves in the Roman Empire. They formed this unified body of believers in Jesus. Paul had never been there, but he heard about the growth of Christianity in that region. So he writes them this letter centered on the gospel, the good news of Jesus, because he knows that if this church was going to be influential to all the world, they had to have a solid foundation of faith. This group of believers couldn't base their existence just on nice people. You're so friendly here. Yeah, we'd like to be a part of you. That would never last. A church would never impact a community for any length of time if it was based on doing nice things for the community. The church in Rome would only have a significant effect on the hearts and souls of people if it had solidly embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes these 16 chapters of this letter to help them understand what is the gospel, how does it impact our lives, how do we serve one another and our communities from the place of the good news of Jesus, not instead of the message of Jesus. So we're, we're pressing into this, this idea of walking the new life. The gospel makes everything New. Paul wanted to make sure that these believers weren't content with a sense of newish. 
Right? That's, the, that's the, kind of the thing you do these days. If, you're, if you want to just make a generalization, you put an ish after the word, right? What time are we going to have our picnic tomorrow? Ah, noonish. That means you could be 1, 1.30, it could be 11. It's kind of near, somewhere around the noon hour. And it seems that a tendency for believers in Jesus is to accept his new life with a sense of newish. That was, that was Paul's concern. He knew that there were people that maybe came from a legalistic perspective, maybe raised in a culture that said, you have to perform the letter of the law in order for God to accept you. And they would hear the message of Jesus and find that they could never achieve such a standard. So God reached down into their sinfulness and he granted them salvation because of their faith. And they, they were so overjoyed with God's acceptance of them and his forgiveness of their sin. And yet they would still be prone to trying to earn God's favor by their performance. That concerned Paul. He was also concerned that there would be some people that would hear the message of Jesus and would understand that they could have forgiveness of sins by trusting in him, and they would, but they wouldn't move away from how their life really practically lived out. They still lived for themselves, but they kind of held this salvation in their pocket, so now they wouldn't have to fear hell. So they were new-ish. Paul was concerned that there would be people who on a Sunday would come together on the Lord's Day and they would worship Jesus together and they would talk of grace and kindness and forgiveness. But come Monday through Saturday in the marketplace and in the workplace in their homes, their language wouldn't change, their lifestyle wouldn't change, their treatment of others wouldn't change. They would be new-ish. So part of the point of his letter is to help the believer understand that when Jesus gets hold of your life, everything changes. Are you? Is that true of you? It doesn't mean that, that when Jesus gets hold of my life, I'm perfect, or I have no problems or no struggles anymore. But I do have a new trajectory in my life. Now that Jesus has become part of my life, I place my faith in him. Now I'm on a new path. It's not a newish path. It's a new path of discovering all that he has for me and my pursuing it. So we're stepping into the study in chapter 5, which some would ask, well, why 5? What happened in chapters 1 through 4? I encourage you to read it on your own, but here's essentially, in a really way too small uh, nutshell, 1 through 5. Chapter 1, he defines the gospel. He says it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, whether Jew or Gentile, no matter who you are. It's the power of God that grants you salvation. The good news of Jesus, that he died was buried and rose again in payment for your sin. Faith in that produces a power that saves you from sin. Chapters 2 and 3 describes very thoroughly how everyone actually is caught up in sin. Whether you're a religious Jew following the law, whether you're a moral 
um, non-Jew that um, is trying to do good things for good people, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all without excuse. Chapter 4, Paul helps us understand that the power of salvation enters our life when we place our faith in the work of Jesus. That it's not by performance, it's not by alignment with a group of people, it's not by a heritage, it's not by anything we do, it's only by placing our faith. We are justified through faith, that's chapter 4. And then chapter 5 begins this journey of, okay, what does this mean for a believer, for one that's put his faith in him? So let's go to chapter 5, that was all... Introduction. Sorry. Romans 5 begins by teaching us something deeply offensive. God only saves bad people. How do you like that? God only saves bad people. Maybe another way of saying this is God can't save good people. Because if we think we're good then we'll never embrace his salvation. Jesus put it this way. I'm the great physician, and the physician doesn't come to heal the well. He comes to heal the sick. So if people don't think they need a physician, the physician has nothing to offer them. So Paul helps us understand that in order to experience this power, we have to recognize that we all have sinned, that we've all deceived people. We've tried. You have, anyway. And I have, too. Whether it's putting on a facade, whether it's trying to manipulate a situation to get your own way, we've all done that. We've all lived selfishly. We've all had evil thoughts, and we've been vengeful, and we've held grudges. We've all gossiped. And we could make those big lists of sins that other people do, too. Right, but either way, whatever list you come up with, you know that all of us have fallen short of the standard of, of God. Only Jesus can change that. And that's, that's the message of the gospel. His transforming power can only come when we admit our sinfulness. So let's look, look together at chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2 as we seize these powerful aspects of his salvation. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's some powerful things here. But it helps us understand, number one, that war has ended and access is granted. War has ended and access is granted. It's, the verse starts by saying, therefore, since we've been justified by faith. He's summarizing the point of the previous chapter, but so vital. Since we've been justified. That, that's a, that's a, a, a complex word that simply means since we've been made right with God. If you're justified, it means you have been positionally granted a condition of being right. You were wrong, but now you've been justified. You've been made right with God. And people are made right with God by faith. 
by placing their faith in what God has done through his son. So in other words, the law can't make you right with God. And abiding, abiding by it, that won't make you right with, with God. A priest can't make you right with God. Good behavior can't change your condition and make you right with God. Being born as a Baptist or a Lutheran or a Catholic or a Methodist or any other denomination, being born into a certain family cannot make you right with God. Being baptized cannot make you right with God. Joining a church cannot make you right with God. Paul is writing to the Romans and to us to make sure we understand that we can only be justified through faith by placing our belief and our conviction and our confidence in the work that God has done through his son, Jesus. It's the only way that our condition can change. And a primary effect of this being made right with God is, according to this verse, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's what's happened. Because you've been made right with God, you now are at peace with God, which implies that previous to this, you were an enemy of God. And none of us like to think that, do we? We don't like to think that we're... In fact, we, we kind of change it to say, well, I wasn't walking with God before. And kind of what we mean is God was walking this way and I was walking this way. And there's a sense that's true, but the reality is God was moving this way and we were moving this way. We were an exact opposition of God. At various places, we talk, he talks in Ephesians chapter 2, talks about us being an enmity with God. The book of James, it talks about us being children of the devil before we've been justified by faith. So we were at war with God. But when we are made right with God, when we place our faith in him, the scripture says that now, instead of an enemy, now you're made at peace with him. Some of you might be familiar with the uh, history of the country of Liberia. Liberia is where our two youngest daughters are from. And it was intriguing to be there for several weeks and even to learn the history from the people there in Liberia. Liberia was formed, it's a, uh, a country in the West African uh, coast. And it was formed in the early 1800s by freed slaves from, from our country who were sent then back to Africa, back home. Well, they had to find a place. And so they sailed up and down West African coast to try to find a place where they could land. And finally, they found this place. They negotiated a treaty with the, the native people in that region, and they disembarked, and they set up the colony, which became a country of Liberia. Well, these folks had now an education, they had technology, and so they come to this land and they form a, a government, and now with the advantage that they, they had, they cut the government to themselves. Instead of the negotiated treaty, they then took over the region and then put the native people under servitude of them. 
It wouldn't allow them any, any rights, wouldn't grant them access to government services, education, even Christianity that some had received when they were here. And so they come to a land and begin to treat the native people the same way they were treated in all the atrocities in our country. It begins to duplicate there. And this goes on for 150, 170 years. And this boiling point of animosity between the indigenous people of this region, what's now Liberia, and the American Liberians that had settled there. So two classes of people, and it just begins to boil over those 150 years. And in 1990, it spills over into a civil war. And for the next 20 years, this tragic civil war rages across this part of Africa where hundreds and thousands of people are slaughtered and maimed. Child soldiers ruled the area and were trained and, and brainwashed to fight and kill and destroy. Children were orphaned. Mortality rate of, of children under five was over 50%. Nothing, for 20 years, nothing was stopping this war. And all types of cries were given to the American government from the people of Liberia saying, can you help us? You started our country, can you now help us end this war? But our government often just washed their hands and said, we're kind of done with that problem. Until finally, the U.S. sent one naval ship with about 200 troops. And as they came on the horizon, and the two warring factions saw the naval ship come towards them, they dropped their weapons. They said, okay, we're done. And a handful of soldiers landed, treaties were formed, Peace began to rule again. A new government was established. A UN coalition came together to form a, a just constitution that gave everyone equal rights into their community. What happened? How did war become peace? Well, really simple. A higher power came to the scene to say, this needs to stop. In submitting to the higher power, there was the brokerage for peace. Now there was free access to the rights of the land. Well, in a similar way, that's happened to you spiritually. Where you were at war with God, it just kept going and there was nothing that was going to end this until God sent his Messiah, his Savior, who would come to our place not armed with machine guns or missiles, but armed with a, with a robe of a servant. And he humbled himself to the point of death to take our punishment upon himself and so make peace with God. For all those that would place their faith in him. So the question that comes to us is, if we're justified by faith and that makes us peace, 
It brings peace with God who gives us access to his grace. Then have you placed your faith in Jesus? There's no other way. Don't place your faith in a church or in a baptism your parents performed. Don't place your faith in a membership class you may have taken. Don't place your faith in a heritage you were born into. There's nothing that we can do. It's accepting the peace that God has formed through Jesus. Are you his? Have you placed your faith in him? You say, it's got to be more difficult than, than that. What do I have to do? No, it's submitting to what God has done. Don't offend him. Don't offend him by saying, God, you couldn't do it all. Let me do part of it. Ah, God did it all. You just have to accept what he's provided for you. And when you place your faith in him, when the gospel enters your life, war ends, access to God is granted. But listen, it's better. I mean, that's really good, but, but this gets better. Let's keep reading. Chapter 5, verse 3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. In other words, suffering has misfired and hope is alive. For the believer in Jesus, for, the, for those that have experienced the power of God for salvation, if you've experienced the gospel, then your experience of suffering is transformed. You see, the truth is, you still suffer. Jesus said that would happen. In this world, there will be tribulation. This is a broken world. We will suffer. And man, we can testify of that here, can't we? When I think back to the experiences of suffering from our church family over the, just our short existence here over the four years, it's a tragic list. It's, it's spouses who have died. It's cancer that's been diagnosed, and it's unemployment that's experienced and financial disarray that's happened and it's, it's crime that's been committed against us and it's terrible decisions on our part and terrible decisions on other par others' part that causes us to suffer. There's grandkids that have been buried. There's parents that have been buried. There's children that have been buried. I mean, the, the grief even represented in this room right here is heavy. Suffering is a part of our world. But for a believer, suffering is different. Paul says, if the gospel has impacted your life, then suffering, though it exists and though it is hurtful, it's not harmful. It hurts. But because of the victory in Christ, it doesn't harm or destroy. He, he gives this experience of suffering in this verse very succinctly. He says, because we know that following Jesus, we know that suffering produces endurance. There's this beneficial process to suffering. 
That endurance produces a character and a strength. And that character fills us with this expectation or it produces hope in us. That if you abide in Jesus during your suffering, you can know that you will become stronger in your godly character. You will become more like Jesus if you cling to him in your suffering. That's what the gospel does. It says from now on, instead of being an enemy, God is your friend and companion and your comforter, one who comes alongside so that now when you suffer, you're not suffering alone. You're suffering with the victor over all suffering, and he will bring good out of it. It produces character. It produces hope because God sovereignly reigns over it all. Verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He's with us in our suffering. You see, when you let the gospel transform your life, even your suffering changes. Not that it doesn't hurt, but we're not alone and we become stronger because of it. And there's so many stories I'd love for you to share. And again, that's why life groups are so important. And those that are meeting this week, I know that we have at least one meeting this week. I hope that you have time as you share together how God was faithful to you in your time of suffering. Because we need to hear that. Because when it's going to be my turn to suffer, I'm going to remember, I'm going to have to remember your story because that will give me hope and confidence. Let's keep reading. Verse 9, let's jump to verse 9. It says, since therefore we've been now justified by his blood. There we are again. Since we have been made right with God by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. If we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, there's there's three tenses that I hope you caught there. First of all, we need to see in this that Jesus' death reconciled us, and his life will get us home. His death in the past made us right with God, and his continued life gives us life. So the gospel does several things. One, it changes your past. In the past, Jesus died and rose again in payment for your sin. That means we've, when we place our faith in him, that means we have been released from our fear of standing in judgment for our sin because Jesus was judged on our behalf, right? So we're reconciled to God. We're made right with God. That was the past. We also, this talks about being saved, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, because he now has risen, we can know that we shall rise from the dead to spend eternity with the Father. So one day, we can look forward to that day when the suffering will be gone, when all this anxiety of life will be over, and everything will be made right. So we have a future hope. But then he says... More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now 
have reconciliation. So there's a now aspect to our salvation. And this is what so many times believers miss. We know that we've been forgiven for, by sin because of Jesus' death. We believe in the promise of heaven and we look forward to that because, man, wouldn't that solve a lot of problems? But he's with us now. We're reconciled now. Which is why you'll see Paul writing in these three chapters things like that we may walk in a newness of life. Or that we will now serve according to the spirit instead of the flesh. That now our life will change. His resurrection assures us because he now lives, we can now live with him. So that in my journey of faith today, I can follow in his plan. That I can watch him transform how I speak to my spouse. I can watch how him transform how I handle my finances. I can watch him transform how I treat those that mistreat me. I can watch how God transforms my heart from fear to confidence when things come against me. That I can begin to live according to what he wrote to the Corinthian church, that whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Not that some things have passed away, but that all things have passed away, and behold, all things are now made new. So the question to us, are you allowing the gospel to change you today? Not did it change you three years ago or 30 years ago when you heard it. Are you allowing the gospel to change you moment by moment, from glory to glory, step by step, more into the image of Jesus. Because every time there's victory in your life, there's new. Don't be content with newish. He didn't bleed and suffer on the cross so we could be newish. He went to the cross and rose from the dead so we could be, could be made new. Are you new? Is that your journey today. Again, it's not a statement that says, I'm perfect. I have no more to grow because everything is new. It's, I'm on a new track. Everything is now changing into the image of Jesus. My language, my plans, how I use my time, how I use my resources, how I treat my friends and my enemies, all of that is changing because the gospel has changed my life. As Joe shared with us earlier, as we began our service, we want to celebrate communion together. And I think this would be a great time to do that as a church family. Communion is a time when we remind ourselves of the work that God has done in us. But today, I hope that you don't look at it simply as remembering what he did. I hope that you experience the celebration of it 
It's your reminder of what God is continuing to do in you. That we, as we have two elements, we've got a little broken piece of matzah bread um, to remind us of his broken body. That we'd remember that that price that he paid was so that our past can be broken and we can live a new life. As we take of the, of the cup reminding us of the shed blood of Jesus, remembering that the life is in the blood, and as we find, place our faith in the shed blood of Jesus, that brings new life that can continue to regenerate and bring growth into every area of our life. We're going to distribute it to all of us. It'll take some time for all of us to receive one of the, uh, these, these elements. And after you've received it or while you're waiting for it, I'd encourage you just to take some time and talk to God. Maybe some of you would say, you know, I don't think I've ever placed my faith in him. I'm kind of trusting what my grandma did or my parents did. That maybe today's the day that you in the quietness at your seat would simply say, Jesus, I believe I place my faith in what you've done, and I receive your salvation. For those of you that have received his salvation, maybe this is the time for you to say to him, Father, keep the good work growing in me. Keep your new life flowing through me. Don't let me stagnate. Don't let me be like that pond that just begins, algae begins to form and begins to sour. Allow continued life to flow through me as you bring more and more of Christ-likeness into my life. Keep me changing and growing, Lord. But make sure and take time to speak with Jesus as we wait for these elements. I want to pray, ask God's blessing on this time, and then our team will distribute this to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance we have as a church family to celebrate what you've done for us and the work that you're presently doing and the experience we'll have in the future. Thank you for the gospel that transforms us. But Lord, we want to revel in that in this moment. We want to thank you and praise you and worship you. We want to remind our hearts of what is true. We want to restate to ourselves and to you what our identity is and how our strength is, is grounded in you and the work that you've done. So bless this time. Bless the bread and the juice. May it be truly your servants to remind us of who we are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, for the careful observers in the room, some of you noticed we skipped over verse 6, 7, and 8 in our study today. Let me read that for you. And may this truth wash over us as we celebrate today. The word of the Lord says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God could only save bad people. And that's us. In our condition without Jesus, we're far from God. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were bad people, Jesus died in our place. That's what we celebrate together. So take that piece of bread in in remembrance of the time that Jesus broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Let's take and eat it in remembrance of him. And in the same way, he took the cup, blessed it, and said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Let's drink this in remembrance of Jesus. Father, we're grateful for your generosity to us. Lord, you've demonstrated a kindness and a forgiveness and a mercy and a grace that is matchless. The way that you stooped into a world that rebelled against you and chose to go a different way, Lord, you didn't cause us to wallow in our failures, but you stepped into our broken world to redeem us. We're grateful, we're thankful. Thank you for giving us the strength of faith to even place in you. Thank you for the work that you're doing in your people. Thank you that, Lord, we are people that continue to change and grow and and develop into the image of Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness that we can share with one another because we're with with, uh, unfinished people. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you've given us that example of how we can, uh, Lord, extend mercy and grace to one another. And may that continue to flow from us, Lord, as we receive your cleansing and we receive the the newness of life that's found in you. We love you, Father. We pray this. We give you our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.